0: Join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you
1: are welcome
0: here.
2: No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you
1: are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. really good time to say if you know alternate lyrics to a <laughs> Christmas herald and you want to sing them feel free because we do not have lyrics police here so you are welcome to sing as you have been taught and if you would like to try alternative language sometimes it will appear on the screen <laughs> good evening everyone and welcome to UCC Longmont It's a joy to be together with you here in this place and a joy to know that others are with us from other spaces and places this evening. It's not often that we gather at nighttime. In fact, I can't tell you the last time I was out after dark, but this is where I wanna be if I'm gonna be out at night and we hope that you will find a lot of meaning in this service because this service is presented as a mosaic or a tapestry for you you are going to hear the christmas story in um in scripture and in music in ritual and even in um in darkness that's going to come with the lights that are going to be going down. So we're trying to give you this experience, this multi-sensory experience tonight. Uh, If you don't have a candle, they are in the back and we do have special candles for our youngest worshipers that are electric. We also want you to know that we expect there to be uh, some noise and music and movement because we are an intergenerational community. So if that happens, that's okay. And if you need even more space to move and if you'd like to be a little more robust, we do have a playroom in the back. It's children's space, um, children and young at heart space. And we do have Colleen who's in the back there and Addie. So they are, they are um, regular staff members. And there's a coloring table for people who listen best when their hands are moving. It's my job to give you the details, so let me just make sure I'm doing okay. Uh, There are a couple places in our service where we're going to be doing a responsive reading, and your part is the bold part. So be bold is all all you have to remember. And when it comes to singing, if you're not sure whether to sit or stand, just follow the lead of our choir. Having said all that, If we haven't met yet, my name is Sarah Verasco. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And it is a privilege to welcome you on behalf of all of our staff team and all of our volunteers. It takes many, many hands and hearts to make a service like this come to life and uh, too many to name. But please know that this space and this service has been in process for you for weeks. So uh, thank you to Wayne up top and everyone else here that's participating.
2: I'm Amelia Richardson-Dress. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And we have arrived, friends, at the night that we have been waiting for. And I know some of us entered tonight with barely contained excitement, and we are glad to have that excitement among us. And I know that others of us may have entered with something else, maybe with some curiosity or some trepidation, maybe with some grief or some longing that you are bringing with you tonight. So know that whatever it is that you are bringing to this space, it is welcome here. Our God and this night and this community are big enough to hold all of that along with you, which is why tonight we are going to greet one another with the same words that we use each Sunday morning, and you can find them in your bulletin. They go like this, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And continuing in that spirit of welcome and of love and of greeting, let us join in this gathering litany, remembering that you are to be bold in your responses. <laughs> Why do we gather this night? We
1: gather to share the stories
2: and songs of old and to hear
1: Where do we gather this night?
2: We gather from our places of home and from our places of estrangement, from our places of peace and of vulnerability, from our places of faith and our places of fatigue. With what do we gather?
1: We gather with our mutual thirst and hunger for the gift of peace. We gather with gentle trust that our hearts will be touched by love and that our spirits
2: will be nourished.
1: With whom do we gather this night?
2: We gather with every generation, past, present, and future who live in hopeful expectation and
1: believe in the enduring promises of our God. We're going to turn to scripture first. And as a few words of introduction to our first reading, which comes from the prophet Isaiah, it's worth noting that this reading expresses the hope that is associated with a new leader. It's sort of like the election day hopes that we, might know, that we might be familiar with. And along with this new leader comes the promise of a new direction for people who are suffering, who are suffering the effects of war and domination And it's customary, it was in the ancient time, at the beginning of a new reign, for kings to receive a series of royal titles. And these titles reflected the people's high expectation for their new leader. So let's listen to how ancient expectations are presented in the ninth chapter of Isaiah.
0: The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this.
1: Wonderful Counselor, our King will be wise, a mighty God. Our King will have military powers, Everlasting Father, our King will provide care and provisions for their subjects, Prince of Peace. There will be the absence, we hope, of military conflict during his reign. These were the hopes and expectations of the people that Isaiah was speaking to. In the mosaic of Christian stories, it was common for writers and musicians to play with the kingship motif, providing stories to support the claim that Jesus was the one promised and God's kingdom, the one suffering people longed for. Handel's Messiah put this piece of the mosaic to music, for unto us a child is born. Had there been an ancient royalty yearbook in the first century, Jesus and his family would not have been included. But if they were, they would have been voted least likely to succeed because his ways, Jesus' ways of wisdom, power, peace, and care were not welcome. They were completely underestimated in their capacity to influence and to make change. They were seen as foolish, as naive, I remember from my athletic days that it was always helpful to be underestimated by an opponent. In this case, though, it wasn't. Our second reading this evening comes from the Gospel of John. It's worth mentioning that this Gospel was written after all of the letters of Paul after the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Acts, and so there were already a lot of Christian stories in circulation, if you will. You know, if you read one, I'm sure that the algorithm pointed you to the others, and I'm sure that you couldn't resist clicking on it and reading it. With all of this already in circulation with specific times and places and people, with birth narratives, with genealogies, John decided to take a completely different tack. The only Jesus we know in the Gospel of John is an adult. Unless, of course, you take into account that John's beginning is about the beginning. It's a universal view of cosmic evolution. The rationalists in the room are going to love this. What John tells us is that understanding is possible. Maybe not complete understanding, but there are patterns that are observable. We know this in the sun, right? We know it rises in the east, it sets in the west. We know that there are patterns in the moon and seasons, although, Colorado, I don't understand your seasons. Um, But I, I know you believe you have them. There are also patterns in stars, and that somehow John is claiming that somehow the ongoing understanding of the universe is incarnate in Jesus. So maybe that's the birth narrative for John, is that Jesus was present at the very beginning, just like we would now say we are made of the same stuff of stars. And so we are stardust, and to stardust we will return. So let's listen to this ancient understanding in the first chapter of John.
0: He came as a witness, to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to, tes- to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received one blessing after another.
1: One of the gifts of John's approach is that some level of understanding is possible and transferable. The interplay with light and darkness is easily understood. You can try this at home. Go to the darkest place in your home and then take out your phone and turn it on or light a candle or turn on a light. The light will shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Or go outside. Go to the darkest place you know. And when you get there, look up. The darker it is, the more you'll see in the night sky. And so too in life where the metaphor of light and dark play out all the time. The challenge is, is that you have to be willing, we have to be willing to show up in desolate places, in places where we might not be able to see or where we don't think we'll be able to see. The hard and messy broken places of life the places where we all naturally feel vulnerable, where we feel unsure. And when we show up to these places, if it's a really, really big um, desolate situation, you know, it's really best to just show up, not with an idea about how to fix or solve anything but showing up with a silence that says, I see you, I care about you, and you're not alone. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally pitched a tent. I wanna only give you examples that I know firsthand and the one, that, the one that comes to mind for me, as I'm sure examples are coming to mind for you, the one that comes to mind for me is um, the tragedy that happened at Club Q in Colorado Springs. It's still a little bit tender to talk about it, but I wanna talk about it because both Amelia and I went to Club Q when they were asking for clergy to be present for those who were coming. So we separately made the trip on different days to Colorado Springs. And when we talked about it afterwards, it was hard to find words to describe it. But we really didn't have to because we both went. And we know each other's heart well enough to know that we don't need to say a lot. But what I want to say to you tonight is that It was surprising. So, having arrived, there is a feeling of vulnerability. When you arrive at a place where a tragedy has occurred, it's normal to think, could this happen again? There's also a vulnerability because you don't know who's going to drive by and who's showing up and in what spirit they're showing up. But I can tell you that to the person, every person that showed up and every person that drove by came in grief and in horror and came with care. And during the short time, the short three hours that I was there, maybe there were 25 to 30 people who came there was a little blip because the governor came and so at that moment there were a lot more people, but but they left. But what was evident was that hundreds of people had been there and we knew this because of what was written with chalk on the ground. We knew this because of all the flowers that had been left and the candles that had been lit and the artwork that was there and the flags that were there. This was a moment where that space says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It was really powerful. And when the owners of Club Q were asked what they were going to do, they said, we are going to reopen. And when one of the persons one of, one of the people came with their mother to this place because they wanted to see and they wanted to be there said when I'm old enough I'm going to go That's powerful isn't it and courageous And when you show up in silence like that it allows you to hear what's needed And in those first few days, all that's needed is someone to stand beside you. Really, the only words I said that afternoon were, was, it's a lot, isn't it? More of the talking was done with a hug or a touch. There are also much smaller situations where you don't have to show up in silence. And you know these, you know these situations. The death of a family member, a pet or a friend, an illness that takes a turn or a new illness, an unexpected job loss, a family member who is spending time in jail, You know that showing up is important in these moments. And how do you do that? You do it with a casserole or an ice cream cone. You send a card or you just offer a smile and a listening ear and space for the person to be with their grief or whatever other feels are going on. We're not asked to fix things. but the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that was the light that was shining in the darkness. I love this story of a young person whose dog had died, and he didn't want to tell anybody, and he went out with his friends, and a girl who had been a friend of his for many, many years, almost their whole life, I mean, you know, all of 16 years, But that significant could tell that something wasn't right. Like, what's going on with you? He said, nothing, I'm fine. And finally, she just persisted. And she took him aside and said, look, I know you're not fine. So just tell me. I won't tell anybody. And he told her that his dog had died. You see, the story of light and darkness, and of light shining in the darkness is also a story of God's persistence. Our God is wonderfully persistent. And if they didn't come up before, I hope that now there are some examples in your life that are coming to mind and heart. And guess what, you can try this at home too. You can try noticing where there might be some desolation or despair or just someone's feeling a little down or different, if you're just not sure what it is, something's different, and go toward it. You see, we're not asked to be Jesus. We're asked to be John the Baptist, and that's the John that they were reading about the one that testifies to the light, the one that says, I'm willing to show up because I know there's gonna be light here.